Hello, welcome to episode five of the Therapy Tales podcast with me, Dawn Walton, the human therapist, and Jess, the dog behaviorist. Yay, we're getting really good at this. Um, <laughs> we're sitting in Starbucks again, as, as we often do, and we were chatting, and then we kind of went, oh, we have to stop chatting because that would actually be really good recorded on the podcast. <laughs> this is what we do, though, right? So um, we just finished an educational walk, nice and calm today. Nice, lots, lots of learning, though, yeah. lots of stuff that we covered. Um, and so Dawn was speaking about levels of competency. Want to run through them again? Okay, so levels of competency are a thing that comes from the business world where there are four levels and the first one is unconscious incompetence, which is basically you don't know what you don't know. Um, and then when people first come on with dog walks, that's kind of where they come at. They kind of go, I'm struggling, but I don't know what it is I'm struggling with and I don't know what I need to do. The second level is conscious incompetence, which is you go, ah, now I know why that didn't work and what I need to learn. And that's the kind of first phase of going on these dog walks with Jess. And then the second, the third level is conscious competence. So you are, you know what to do, you know how to do it, and you're making a choice to do it, which is actually the level that most of us need to get to. And then the final level, which Jess really likes, is mastery, <laughs> which is where you're a master, um, which is um, unconscious competence. So you don't even have to think about what you do and how you do it because it just comes automatically to you. So people kind of go, oh, God, how did Jess read my dog so well when I've been living with him my whole life and I didn't get any of that stuff? So that's that unconscious competence. So we've, we've been talking about that. I like it because she called me a master. No one's ever called me a master before. <laughs> so dogs also go through these... Um, levels and then the top level for a dog would be i feel the vibrate i know exactly what this means even though i don't have to think about it yes it means, automatic responsiveness it means i guess go back and get a treat right yeah um so we had a, a new dog join us on the walk today and um it was really really interesting for me because it was like the ideal client like if they were all like this i'd be like the happiest bunny right okay. so he's he's got this uh, dog he's gone to classes it wasn't my classes but he went to someone else's classes and he did loads and loads of reinforcement training from a young age the dog's really confident um not got any issues with dogs but his issue is recall and not being as exciting as he should be right but he didn't know that so that's the unconscious right. incompetence yes. he, doesn't, he doesn't know that so he's like well, what do i do what am i doing wrong you know and um, why hasn't this worked for me and actually it has worked really well because he's got he's got a great foundation but he doesn't know that yeah he just thinks that you know my dog's not responding as it should but it's like a 10 month old dog that's going into adolescence and um adolescent behavior is questionable right so yeah, it's literally, learning. <laughs> literally question everything you you put at them why is my puppy gone from being do, do, doing everything it was told to suddenly going no nah, don't want to so um he's actually brought me a dog that's for me it's like yeah you've got this stuff all there so some tidying up that you need to do but everything that i was saying to him he was like oh my god yeah oh yeah okay <laughs> so it's like he got all this information and yeah. it was like if you could see his brain going cool right i'm gonna put that in place that will definitely help you know this yeah, next yeah. step so um yeah and, and what, what i'm saying is interesting about it is that um, it's not really too, too, too challenging for me because it was like I just tell him stuff, he nods and agrees, and I'm like, excellent, that was a brilliant <laughs> transaction. Do you know what I mean? But sometimes, yeah, it's a bit harder because you've got um, so many different things. To, the, the people come along with uh, an issue, but actually, there's so much more to do first before we even approach yes. that issue. Yeah. So a lot of trainers are really struggling with um, where do you start? Yeah. Uh, how how do we we know what we know? And the owner doesn't know how to get to that, but nope. we have to start way down the bottom before we can even approach that subject. And uh, how are you going to do that in an hour's consultation? 
Yes, and you talked about it being almost like a reset, right? Because you, you, people come along to add to their knowledge, but a lot of the time you need to reset and start again with a clean slate. Yeah. So, so one of the conversations we were having which was about language and, and the way we use language, and you know, so again, I come from the business world. So before my my therapy job, I spent twenty odd years in. Um, consultancy traveling the world with call centers helping businesses improve um, but part of that was I was responsible for helping centers deliver results I was also responsible for training up managers in these centers to be able to help their teams to deliver results wow. so I had kind of all aspects of it but with no ownership um, which is a really interesting interesting role to be in it's quite fun in many ways because if we look at the difference between training and coaching so training is um, I tell you what to do, you do it repetitively, I correct you when you do it wrong, and I tell you what to do next. And so um, when you run training classes, people just assume that you're almost just like a figurehead. You know, um, they all bring their dogs, they come along to the training class, it's automatically... Oh, what happens to you? Yes, sorry. it would automatically be, you know, why would anybody ever say, no, you can't come to my training class? Because, you know, I'm paying you, you're providing a service to me to help, to tell me what to do with my dog. Um, and and the ownership actually is if it doesn't work, you're a rubbish trainer, right? So I've paid you, you're supposed to be the expert, I brought my dog and it didn't work, that meant, therefore you are a rubbish trainer. It's a simple transactional relationship. Um, so then when somebody says, you know, I'm, I'm going to bring my puppy to your puppy class and you go, well, no, you can't. They're like, well, that doesn't make any sense because, you know, I'm paying you for this transaction, therefore you should automatically take my money and do my thing. But also, any sort of training environment is is a fake environment. It's not real life. That's true. So um, you know, you do. It's said that if you go into a training course, you'll take at most 20% of, of what you hear and actually be able to use it. And the interesting thing is, if you've got 10 people in a room, each one of them will have a different 20% that they've taken from it. So they will only take a small amount of what you say, and each one of them will take something different. It's not really very efficient. Not really very efficient and actually not really very useful because then when you leave and you are in a slightly different situation to the one that you were in the room, you suddenly go, I don't know how that works, right? So I, I did a, a call centre job during lockdown just to get a bit of money in. And, um, and it was really funny because you, you spent a week in learning how to use the system, right? And how they're supposed to use the system. And then the minute you take a call from the customer, you're like, uh, I don't know where that totally is, different. how do I do that? It's totally different. And then you ask somebody else, they go, oh, yeah, this is what you need to do in that. And so you spend another week learning how to do it. And, and it takes you a lot longer to learn all the different intricacies, but they can't cover that in training because they cover how the system was designed to work, not how it works for you. So probably the better way to learn is to do it in real life with somebody next to you coaching. So coaching is a different experience. Thank you for the segue. It's perfect. <laughs> um, anybody think we lined it up? Um, so, all written down here. It's all yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you, see, you see us in Starbucks. Got a massive ream of paper all over the table. Um, so, so with coaching, it's a different relationship. It's like, I recognize that you are the expert in this and you have the knowledge on how to apply it. I want to learn how to become an expert in what I do and have the knowledge about how to apply it. So I need to, I need you to help me with me and my model of the world and my way of working to, to find the best way through it. So it's not a one size fits all. It's not a somebody talking at you. And in order to make coaching the most effective, you need to be running through real life scenarios. So would you say then that a trainer, like when you're saying not, to, not, not being responsible for that, yeah. it's almost like a formal situation 
and coaching's a bit more informal. It is. So you're kind of working together rather than being taught taught yeah. at. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. And the responsibility sits with the clients okay. to to then go and do something else with. There's an implication that I have worked with you on your stuff and you're going to carry on the work once you walk out. And, and we sort of know that because the word trainer and coach, even though they're the same sort of thing, they mean something they're very different. Very to different. Us, but coach is a sort of nicer thing, isn't it? Yeah, I suppose, you know, everybody's got their own personal interpretation of whether, so, you know, and and coaches don't always have the greatest reputation because one of the downsides that people see about coaching is that lack of responsibility. I mean, it's one of the positive sides if you're a coach. You can just go, do it? Oh, you didn't do it? Well, that's your problem, not mine, right? I told you what to do. Um, But, um, so some people can see it as quite a negative. It's like, it's not hand-holding enough. You're not giving me enough support. But actually... What happens is, and I was I was talking to somebody on the walk earlier, is, and this is how it works with my clients. My clients own their change. I can do amazing things in a one-hour session, but that's not going to be enough for their life. They have to then say, well, what does this mean to my day-to-day life? How does my life change as a result of what I've done with Dawn? I have no ownership of that. So when my client comes back after a couple of weeks and says, oh, wow, all these things have changed, I say, well done, because it's them that's done the work. They've done the work. I couldn't do it for them. I can't be with them in their life telling them how to deal with every single situation. I can't be the person that messages me and says, Dawn, oh my God, this has happened. How do I deal with it? They have to choose to do that. So when they do, that's amazing. And it's well done to my clients. So my clients own the change. And that means that they they can continue the change rather than it being a kind of, oh, it didn't work for me. Yeah. Saying it didn't work for you when you own the change is, is kind of counterintuitive, right? It Which also is- implies, for me, that the word also the coaching implies longer-term commitment on both sides. Like a sports coach, for example, yeah. you know you're not going to become a world-class badminton player next week, whereas a coach will work with you over you know, exactly. time, however long it's going to take. And you will change, and your coach will adapt with you. So, okay, so you've learned this now, but now you've got this problem. Well, a coach will recognize that and go, right, okay, now we need to focus on this, whereas a trainer is just going to go, I do this block, I cover these things, yeah. this is what I cover with everybody. So it's a lot more, and it has its place, you know, sometimes you can't coach unless you've had some training first, unless you have the basics, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're coaching on nothing. Well, I think this is what's lacking in the dog world. So yeah. there's lots of trainers, and they're all doing sort of slightly different things. Um, so this this guy that came today, he's, um, he's been to a trainer before, and obviously what's been put in is really good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they couldn't take him any further. And that's when somebody, that trainer needs to then go, do you know what, This is you've done this, tick box, yes. well done. You need to do, now do this step, and yep. you refer on to a different person or, yep. or whatever. Because everyone's got their, their weak point and their bits that they're good at and the bits that they're, for some reason, specialise in. You know? That's really important as well, I think. you know, Trying to think that I should be a one-size-fits-all is, is unrealistic. So, yeah, saying... There's not but, enough time to do it anyway. It's not enough time you know, to do it you. You don't always want to, you know. I mean, we all have things that we enjoy doing, yeah. and I enjoy I enjoy seeing my clients thrive. I see them grow and and own their change, and then, you know, quite frankly, the worst thing about my job is I never see them again a lot of the time because they're getting on with their life. That's great for them. It's not so great for me. It's a bit sad. If I get clients that come to me for more long-term stuff because they recognise they can change, I love it because I get to talk to clients longer. Um, but yeah, it's 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 that recognizing that people evolve, things evolve, dogs evolve, things change, and things happen in life. You know, and you should be able to go, oh, this is getting in the way, and, and do it. So for us, I think for, for people like you and I who find people generally interesting, dogs generally interesting, the challenge of helping people genuinely interesting, then coaching is way more fun because it's a relationship-based yeah, absolutely. experience. Absolutely, that is the important word, relationship. And um, I feel like I've wasted a lot of time doing one-to-ones where only 
because I've got so much information to impart yeah. and only so much can be taken in. And then if I'm too busy doing new people, I'm not catching up with the old people and you just wonder, well, what's happened to them? Yeah. You know, did they take in so much and then that was it? Or yeah. did they get stuck? Do you know? Because we've also seen um, people come along uh, for a wee while now and become friends on the walk where yes. they're just coming along to take over and they've said they've learned new things or they said that they didn't even know they wanted to work on this. So for example, Archie today, so she didn't come along to get her dog to like um, learn to be more adventurous and go into streams and climb on rocks. She didn't yep. come along for that. But as a side effect, she's seen how happiness, air quotes, happiness is in dogs. Yep. And when they become more exploratory, and she's now encouraging that as yep. a sort of extra arm, which it just fills me with absolute joy. It is, and it fills her with joy. You know, it, it, people are enjoying their dogs a lot more because they can go on a walk. And um, the lady with Lucy, you know, she 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 just. It's chilled. She's enjoying a walk. There was a new lady there. They were having a chat together, and she was like, "Yeah, I used to be really worried because I used to call the dog and it never used to come, but I've used a vibration collar, and I know the dog will come now. And now I almost never use it because the dog will it's come. Reliable. And I have this lovely walk with my dog, just me and the dog chilling out. So it creates this wonderful relationship. But it, it's not an overnight thing, even though what you do is very rapid compared to that. That's what Jackie was saying. Dog, Archie's owner, you know, it's like you can achieve in a few hours on these dog walks what would take months if you were to do more traditional training, classroom based stuff. Because we talked before about we learn through experience, we learn by doing, and to create enough experiences that are similar that you can try something new out, very tricky. And the environment, so and the environment set up correctly because there's not wasted time of trying to convince someone to listen to me because mm -hmm. everybody else is there as, as the evidence of that. Yes. So, you know, oh, look, she's done it with those dogs. Yep. It's more likely she do it with mine, rather than spending half the time worried about whether I'm telling them the right thing or not. Yes, and the dogs are teaching each other, of course. And the dogs so... are, uh, yeah. So you've set up the right environment for success. So you've really won, like, 80% of the battle. Yeah, <laughs> because you're teaching by experience, but you're doing coaching because you're somebody's bringing their unique situation to you in a situation, and you can kind of go, well, see this, that when that happens, See how that works? Well, you could try that, you know, like the guy running away and the dog chasing him, you know? But how do you feel about people learning um, from experience of others? So by observation of other people learning with... So, for example, somebody's watching me training somebody else's dog. Um, is that more or less likely to be taken in than if it was their dog? Because it's stressful with your own dog, right? Um, it, it's kind of... It could be either. At the end of the day, we have mirror neurons. Mirror neurons are the thing that when I smile, you have to smile. You can't help it because you're mirroring neurons. Go ahead, we're smiling, we'll all do it. If you yawn, I yawn. You know, those kind of things. Those are mirror neurons. Those are, are part of our, our makeup. So mirror neurons will copy somebody else's behavior, and therefore it becomes... And imitation is a learning. Evidence-based learning, right? Experiential-based learning. So imitation is experience-based learning. So even if your neurons are doing it without you realizing it, they're doing experience-based learning, which is creating pathways which will work. So it's it's um, we were talking about people who've had a stroke and how you know a part of the brain gets damaged. That doesn't get repaired as a person recovers from a stroke. They grow new bits. They grow whole new bits of the brain to do the same thing as they did before. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's quite phenomenal. But they could grow those new bits. If they were trying to learn to pick up a cup, for example, I could do that repetitively all day and I would learn it. I could watch you pick up a cup all day, and I would learn how to pick up a cup as well. It's quite how, phenomenal. How kids learn, essentially, when they're, when they're really young. They, they, they do. They learn by, because they don't have the ability to conceive and understand what's going on, so they, they learn through observation, and that's where all our invisible tigers come from. We learn from observation. 
it's not about whether you have a terrible or a great childhood. Actually, you're going to learn about what invisible tigers there are, irrespective. So there's quite quite common for people to say phobias are passed down. You know, it's like, oh, my my mother was scared of spiders, so I'm scared of spiders. It's actually a behaviour you were copying. Yeah, it's not actually true. It's not in my experience. You don't automatically adopt. Like my mother was terrified of spiders. I love them. I think they're great. I'll kind of carry them in my hand. I've got no problem with spiders. My mother was terrified of lightning. I'll stand outside and I'll watch the lightning. Maybe just me being awkward and to do it despite my mother. <laughs> but it's not automatic. So then surely we change as well. So let's let's take an example of a darker side. So say you've got. Um, toddler that was raised with a, a man that was really uh, abusive and right. physical so toddler's watching the man be physically abusive to his wife or yes. mother sorry um, and when he gets older he understands that's not correct behavior right yeah is he then able to go back and, and reassemble what he first saw yeah. or does he then change her life to go right well this is my foundation i'm an abusive person so so the interesting thing is it's not automatic so a child who grows up with a violent father or a violent parent um, is not automatically a violent adult. So um, this is where I have a problem with data. So um, one of the things you'll hear quoted quite a lot is hurt people hurt people. It's a really common quote, right? Okay, so um, the other one is if you've been abused, you're more likely to abuse. Right, which is a terrible guilt load to put on somebody who's been abused, yeah. right? To carry that for your whole life going, that means I must I've actually found the opposite, that people that have been abused tend to be peaceful people that don't want to fight. So if you think about population, right? So you have the entire world. So I'm drawing Venn diagrams on the table with my fingers here. So if you're into <laughs> Venn diagrams, you can draw along with me. It's fun. Um, so if you imagine you've got your entire population, right? There is a subset of that population that has been abused. There is a subset of that population that you know has been abused. Important detail. There is also a subset of that population that abuses others. There is a subset of that population that you know abuses others. And then the very smallest subset is people you know who have been abused, who you also know have abused others. Now you think about that from your worldview, right? So when you make a judgment that says somebody who's been abused will abuse others, what you're saying is I'm ignoring the fact that population that I know has been abused I don't even know about. I'm ignoring all the people who've abused others that we don't know about who've never been abused themselves. I'm just ignoring all the data and I'm focusing on this one little number and I'm saying, yeah, that means that you're going to abuse somebody else. Wow. That's why statistics are like a bikini. They hide all the interesting bits. <laughs> the bigger picture don't we yeah so so this is this is the danger so when you get into an area where you get knowledgeable i was talking to somebody earlier about doing research you know and the concept of research research is a really interesting idea um because most people don't know how to research a subject most people will google it and then they will find the answers well here's the thing about google i can't remember did we talk about this in a podcast google Okay, so the thing about Google is um, it wants to show you, it's it's in Google's business model to make sure that when you search for something, you find what you're looking for. That is how Google is regarded as a successful search engine, which means that they are constantly, algorithm is constantly saying, what are you interested in? So let's take Donald Trump as an example. I know none of us want to, but let's take that example, right? Let's say you have read articles that said what a terrible president Donald Trump was. If you Google Donald Trump, you will get articles on how bad he is. That's what you'll get because that's what Google knows you're looking for. Now, if you think Trump is great, if you Google Trump, 
you'll get Trump is great articles because Google knows that's what you're looking for. If you've never Googled Trump before and you've never looked at anything like that, you'll probably get articles about how he did The Apprentice, how he was a president. You'll get a random selection. So when you think you're searching the internet for information, you're actually searching your knowledge Very base. Yeah. Your, which is biased towards which what you already think. Which is biased towards you already think. So, and you think you're seeing everything, but you're not. So, you know, if you look at vibration colors, you're going to see things that are, are, are more diverse things than somebody who thinks they're the, the, the worst evil thing ever, right? And, and so this is what we don't realize. So when we research, air quotes again, I've used lots of air quotes in this conversation. When we research, <laughs> What we're doing is, we're, again, like the, the abuse thing, we're searching a subset that's already pre-filtered to our bias. And then you also have to kind of go, well, that doesn't fully inform me. So I now need to continue searching. So I was looking at the impact of trauma on the brain. Uh, I was looking at uh, university papers. I was looking, you know, academic papers. I was looking at any sort of data I could find on what trauma actually physically does to the brain when it happens. And there was nothing because nobody's actually looked for that specific thing before. But what I did find was brain damage and the impact it has. I found a case study from a particular client that had had severe brain damage and could only um, recollect emotional memories, which I call episodic memories. People call episodic memories. And it was like, okay, so if a memory's got meaning, it's easier to recall even if you've got brain damage than if it's got no meaning, if it's just autobiographical, if it's just A, B, C, D, E. So I found that. That makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense, right? So then I found um, papers on dementia and the degradation of the brain. And again, similar thing, right? The um, the meaning in it is the thing that um, it's well known that if you play a song, somebody who's quite far into their dementia may return to you as the person that you knew because you've activated those pathways. So it's a lot easier to get to emotional memories than it is to technical memories. And then I found another one on sexual abuse, I think it was. And I, So I had three points of very different topics that had been researched. But if you combine them all, then it totally allowed me to explain what happens in the case of trauma in the brain. Because we were looking at meaning, we were looking at how the brain stores and how the brain accesses information. So that gave me a definition. I, I was talking about cortisol earlier and how it's a stress hormone and, and, and how that affects you. And again, it was like, talk about the fact that so cortisol it's an interesting one probably overlaps the dogs somewhat but you've got two two things you've got adrenaline which is an instant thing you were talking about earlier when the adrenaline's up the brain switched off and it's really hard to get them to listen to you right people are the same when the adrenaline's up we're in fight flight freeze we're not Think, really thinking present. mode is yeah off. thinking mode is disengaged but there's a more long-term stress hormone which is cortisol I don't, say, I don't think adrenaline is always necessarily being negative. Sometimes when it's combined with, um, so like you get adrenaline junkies, sometimes when it's combined with other things, and endorphins, it can... So Exciting yeah. and anxious are exactly the same physiologically. Exactly the same. So it can, so somebody jumping off a bridge on a bungee rope might say that's exciting, and somebody else might say it's terrifying when they're experiencing exactly the same thing. So you're right, physiologically, adrenaline serves a purpose, to amp you up that can be to save you from being killed or to make you kind enjoy of it. enjoy the experience <laughs> but it's still an amp up thing but it's more it's more event-based adrenaline although obviously if you've got a trauma background you're probably in a state of high alert all the time but cortisol is a more long-term stress hormone and it's a stress hormone release that when you're unsafe right so if you imagine 
in the caveman days, you'll camp next to a pack of saber-toothed tigers. At any moment, you could potentially need to run away because you're in an unsafe environment. So one of the things cortisol does is it metabolizes your food differently so that you've got instant burst of energy. Think about it like an onboard Red Bull, right? <laughs> so what it does is it metabolizes your food into fat that it stores around the organs that are going to need it when you need to run away. So basically around your middle. So cortisol metabolizes food into fat so that if at any point you need to run away, you could instantly access that energy pool on board Red Bull. So if you're fun. stuck in a traumatic phase in your life that you've not managed to move past, you're, you're unsafe. less likely to lose weight. You're unsafe, right? Because your brain's going, oh, I'm unsafe. I'm, not I'm always unsafe, right? So cortisol does that. The other thing cortisol does is, because of the same unsafe thing, it uh, affects your reproductive system. Because having babies when you're unsafe is a really bad plan, right? If you've got a pack of tigers that can attack you at any moment. So people who can struggle with fertility, who've had issues in childhood and have issues with themselves, it can be because the cortisol is going, no, and it doesn't mean it's not possible, but the unsafe bit could make it a lot harder. This is the really upsetting thing for me, that um, there seems to be a lack of knowledge between emotional states and how it affects us physically, yeah. how that affects the body, yep. and therefore hinders certain yep. things. So it's the same with dogs. The stress will also make seasons of dogs be all over the place. Yep. It probably affects the way males behave. What I notice when dogs come to me, you'll start to see this as well now, um, I get a lot of male dogs, obviously, because they're full of testosterone, teenagers. Right. But if they're coming with um, aggressive behaviour, so barking, lunging, even if it's you know defensive or, or whatever, um, or highly anxious, when they come out of that state, whether it's two weeks or you know a month doesn't matter, when they start to come out of that state, they start getting humpy. Right. Okay. And you'll start to notice they'll come on the walk, and the next That's thing they'll do is they start getting sexy. And then owners go, well, I need to neuter it. I'm like, no, this is just a process. Yeah. This is normal. Let this happen. And what would happen naturally with a wild pack of dogs? We wouldn't castrate them. No. They'd be suppressed. It's a terrible word. Not allowed to say that word. Suppressed. They'd be suppressed emotionally yep. and physiologically yep. by the higher ranking dogs. They would say, no, no, we re reproduce. You don't. Yes. So get off me. Exactly. And so it's part of normal behavior to learn what's not acceptable. Just like if a, a six year old boy brings his penis out in public. Yes. Somebody higher ranking than him will say, please put that away, that's not mannerful here. Yes. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And it shouldn't be, we shouldn't not talk about that. Like a... No. No, and the, the problem is that if you've got a, an adult around a six-year-old boy that thinks that they're a pervert and is horrified by it, they will make the six-year-old boy feel bad right. for doing something that it hasn't yet learned. It's that's not a bad okay. thing, it's just a behaviour. It's just a behaviour, yeah. so we just need to stop behaviours, not necessarily... It's probably one of the things that we should really drive home a lot, I think, on the walks. Um, there's no good and bad. It's just no. behaviour, it's just behaviour. Just it keep is. saying it, you know. In fact, we should we get t-shirts and slogans. It's, it's just, just behaviour, behavior. Yeah, yeah. rather Absolutely. than being a character and, trait. Or... And the joy of behaviour is it can change. Whereas identity, it means there's something wrong with you and that can't be changed. Broken thing, broken person, broken God. Well, how many times do we hear that? I'm a broken person. Yeah. Like, nobody can help me. Yeah. It's a tendency to think that way. So it's, it's really interesting when you kind of tie all these things in. But because people always look at, we have tunnel vision. So people might look at fertility and what affects fertility. Absolutely. But as they a, will a singularity. Not, as a singularity, they might look at cortisol. And, and, you know, they might look at adverse childhood experiences and how they affect your adult life. But people don't think of the big picture. It's like when you go to the doctor. Again, we've talked about this before. You go to the doctor, like, if you're a girl, when was your last period? And what's your weight? You know, irrespective. Oh, my heart, arm's hanging off. Yeah, I know, but when was your last period? It's like the, the, the doctors treat boxes. Psychologists often treat boxes. If you look at it holistically, yeah, you go, of course your body isn't going to let you get pregnant. 
like you feel terrible you had a terrible childhood and you just don't feel safe around people your body is saying you're not safe let's just protect you from putting yourself at risk in this situation i find that the more i'm learning um, the harder I'm, I'm the harder it is to have sympathy it's terrible because it's like what why isn't this obvious do you know why are we not teaching kids this and they know yeah. this because know? we just don't think of it this way and and it's that all behavior serves a purpose it's behavior it's not it's just a puzzle for me i can use the phrase puzzle box a lot because that's how i see things you know it's just a puzzle box like what do i need to work out with this what what, what can i do so when people are like oh it's me it's terrible and i'm awful i'm like no 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 i just need to work out this puzzle just you yeah, know bear with me a second i'm just going to work out this puzzle <laughs> and we'll get there like really well, you, under- you think that i'd have more sympathy because we don't know i've got less because the knowledge exists and we're not making use of, i mean not individually but yeah. i mean like humanity isn't making use of that knowledge that we have yeah i just i it's very easy to get caught up in this frustration and and um to see things in that kind of way but i'm i'm very much the kind of you do you i'll do me and and for me when i find myself getting overwhelmed and you know it's really frustrating for me because if we could get into the first year in high schools and help these kids understand that we can't read minds like we've all got our own stuff and everybody there is no such thing as failure you know all this just a couple of key really really simple things that everybody goes oh yeah of course we could teach all kids this then everything would be a lot easier i'm not saying it wouldn't be it'd be marvelous there's always going to be bullying there's always been bullying there's always people who feel crap about themselves and there's always going to be stuff going on at home that you're you giving them to. tools to be able to cope with that giving them resilience it's that resilience but i can't get into schools to do that and i can't change everybody but i can change the kid i helped yesterday <laughs> you know i can change him and you know his mum like tells a fellow parent and i'm talking to their kid as well because i can help their kid as well because what's it weird like, doesn't it yeah, yeah it does so i kind of like okay so you help each person that you help on those walks you are making a difference and it is spreading and there's a load of people that you're not helping and there's a load of frustrating stuff on but if they're not with you that's not in your power to change so you just work on what you can work on and and kind of take the wins basically but it, it, it's easy to get kind of like it's so obvious why doesn't everybody see it but it's it's mass knowledge that's a hell of a lot to change and it's who says i'm right you know i mean it works for me it works for the people i help but maybe i'm wrong we're supposed to be speaking about therapy dogs today we were, gonna... <laughs> <laughs> Look, we're 30 minutes in we're 30 minutes in it's fine it's so we... <laughs> we go off on a tangent don't we we do well, we're here 30 minutes before speaking about something else it all um, overlaps though right yeah so i did this um uh, some people have been contacting me recently because they've heard about my therapy dogs and they've been asking me, a lot of people have been asking me, can I change my dog as a therapy dog and what does it mean? Yes. I put this post out about therapy dogs and it was more like a question to everybody, um, you know, what makes a therapy dog, what do you think a therapy dog is and what about breeds and things that are suitable? Yeah. So, you know, there's a, there's a big um, tendency in the last five years to call lots of crossbreeds a really fancy name. We used to call them mongrels, right? Yeah. Or crossbreeds, yes. and now they've all got fancy names. So I have to pick out the shippy, poodle, fishy, something or other, and it's like brain work for me. Just tell yeah. me the breeds that are in that dog, and yeah. I'll make a guess of how it's going to behave. <laughs> <laughs> so um, something that I didn't realise that I was doing um, a few years ago was that you'd call me up and tell me you've got an eight-month-old German Shepherd. I could tell you what's going on with it. Right. Right. But the people don't like to hear that because no. they like to hear their dog special. 
Yes. But when you have a database in your head of how many eight-month-old dogs behave in this certain way, it starts to be quite likely the probability is that your dog will be lunging and barking. Yes. Even if you socialise it, because they're natural guarders. That's their tendency. And their tendency for humans is to protect and nurture. So the dog goes, oh, cool, I'll do it some more. Yes. Um, so when we've got lots of different crossbreeds in there, the probability of the dog acting a certain way is greatly reduced. Right. And we have yeah. no idea what's going to come out because no. genetics is playing havoc. So um, your 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 therapy dogs traditionally are dogs that are of a a more biddable temperament. Right. So biddable means you're supposed to say what does biddable mean? Biddable means. <laughs> you just started saying biddable means. I, I don't even need to ask. <laughs> biddable means. Um, more likely to want to work with people and have natural empathy. Okay. I don't know if anyone's ever called the dog empathetic. Well, you did. Okay, I just did. Um, natural empathy to people. Yeah. So your Labrador, you know, your Spaniels. Um, so they're, they're naturally inclined. And there's a reason for that, because the, the gamekeepers picked out the dogs that wanted to work and didn't read from the dogs that were more willful and wanted to do independent things. Right, okay. But they liked the Jack Russells that were independent because they didn't have to tell the Jack Russells to go and find the rats. The Jack right. Russells just did it. Right. So they ended up selectively breeding dogs that were better at not taking instructions and doing it themselves. And then, and then breeding dogs that were needing to take instructions mm. and wanted to please. Yes. So you've got very separate... And I really think that we've lost this... Um, understanding how different breeds can be yeah and it's, it's been highlighted to me because of the the belgian shepherds that i've been working with in yes. the last year um because they're so vastly different from anything that i've ever come across yeah, and, yeah. And dealt with a lot of aggressive cases i've lived with a lot of aggressive cases but this is like new level stuff right this is um i like to kill stuff <laughs> so today when she was playing with a stick and uh, harpy she's got her muzzle on and she still manages to get the sticks She's been swallowing sticks when she gets full of adrenaline. She just right. crunches them and swallows them. She's puking up bits of stick. Right. So my smart idea was muzzle her, um, and it's not working because she's getting the stick between the muzzle because she's so determined. Yeah. So and you, you saw her get super excited about the sticks, but then she can't break that. So her yeah. adrenaline comes over and she just goes into a manic state of right. I need to get that. So Rachel and I were having a laugh about it because um, we've selectively bred for monsters that will, <laughs> wouldn't survive in the wild. Yeah. They would get obsessed with doing a thing yeah, yeah. and they wouldn't eat and they wouldn't have sex and they wouldn't do anything else oh, yeah, okay. until they died. Right? <laughs> um, so yeah, it's an extreme version of dog. Yeah. Uh, and definitely not suitable for being a therapy dog, because how would you ever make it happy? No, 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 definitely not. Whereas a dachshund you pick up and it just collapses in your arms and just goes, oh, I'm going to lie here. Well, and a lot of people would say that dachshund probably wasn't ideal as a therapy dog, because they weren't bred to be lap dogs, they yeah. were bred to be little hunters. Right? And as you know, mine are little rabbiters as well, they love to go and sniff yeah. furry things. And, yeah, they're and always digging. Yep. Of all the dogs that go on the walks, and even the puppies now, like, dig, 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 dig. First thing they do is dig. <laughs> you like digging. Uh, and um, noisy. And mine aren't particularly noisy, but um, dachshunds have got a reputation for being quite barky yep. and alerting. Um, of course, you don't have to, so natural instinctive behaviour comes out. And we don't have to tolerate that. We can curb it. Yep. We can teach them an alternative behaviour or, or, or stop that behaviour. Um, yeah, they're not they're na natural therapy dogs, so I think a little bit of extra work needs to be put in. And, and actually, chow chows are not natural therapy dogs either. No, clearly. Um, <laughs> they look so cute. <laughs> And so much work is to put into curbing yeah. natural instincts. So when you take a random breed and say you want it to be a therapy dog, I don't think the work's been put in early enough. Mm. So I can't, I can't say yes, we can make it a therapy dog because for me it's, it starts super, super early. So let's rewind a bit, yes. right, and talk about because we're just making an assumption about what a therapy dog is here, right? So 
again. We have lots of conversations. I start everything with, we had a conversation yesterday, um, had a conversation about um, therapy dogs because um, there is therapeutic value in a dog, right? So what we know is pets have therapeutic value, dogs particularly, because um, one of the things that our brain releases is oxytocin when we feel connected. It's a connection drug. And one of the things oxytocin does is it swells up your blood vessels. So it basically reduces your blood pressure. But oxytocin also scrubs out your arteries. So it clears some of the gunk that's building up in your arteries. So if you hug somebody for 20 seconds or more, your brain releases oxytocin, which does all those physiological benefits. Now, caveat, if you don't like hugging, it's not gonna work, right? Like back off, different thing. But if you like hugging and you have somebody that is safe to hug, then hugging that person, that feeling of connection. So when my, my daughter was little and we used to hug more, I'd start crying if she lay on me for any length of time. If I hugged her for any length of time, I'd just automatically start crying because for me, it's the only connection I've ever felt, that deep, true, safe connection. Wow. And it was always like, why am I crying? I'm hugging my daughter I, because it's the oxytocin. So it's a really powerful drug. Now... The good thing about it is you can get it from animals as well. So it's connection to anything that you feel connected to. But the reason dogs work is because dogs are connected back to you. Dogs also don't lose oxytocin. Yeah. And dogs look at you and they, they are glad you're there and they you know they, they appear to love you in Unlike ever, cats who sometimes Unlike cats who are, who are aloofish. I have a I have a cat, so I can say I've always had cats and, and I love my cats a bit and I love the fact that she chooses to be with me because that makes me feel better. Um, <coughs> it makes me think that there's something in our relationship but it's not great for oxytocin because you know it's only if she chooses to spend time with me that I get to cover <laughs> her and it, it only on her terms rather than my terms so, so dogs are a bit more um, uninhibited with their love they, they are they're... they are it's a far better connection it can be the thing that gives you connection which means you're getting oxytocin which means you're getting that drug which means you're feeling better so then we can say okay if I've got anxiety or if I'm, um, I've got social anxiety, I'm, I'm uncomfortable around people, um, I'm struggling to get out of bed in the morning, then actually that oxytocin-releasing animal is a really powerful thing. It is good therapy. It is good for your mental health. It is improving your quality of life. It's giving you a reason for living, all that sort of stuff. It is not a therapy dog. That can happen with any dog that you have a good connection with. But you might call it a therapy dog because you are in a state and it's helping your mental health. That's not the same as a therapy doctor. Absolutely. And doctors have been recommending, because doctors know this. So yes. there was a, a study done that um, bloods were taken from dogs and the humans before a wee touching session yep. and then after a wee touching session. Yep. Um, and dogs uh, released half as much oxytocin as the humans did mm. compared to body and, yes. and yeah, yeah. size and so on. Um, so my little joke is that humans love dogs twice as much as dogs love us, right? <laughs> so doctors know this, and they know that there's the therapeutic value in having yes. a dog. So they've been recommending people get a dog. Yes. But some people have taken that as a, oh, I should get a therapy dog. Yes, and that's the difference, right? So when we're talking about the different breeds of dogs and the ones that make good therapy dogs, we're talking about a job in a dog. Absolutely. Which in we know with guide dogs is a job. We also know that there are helping dogs as a job. Yeah, we know there are dogs with epilepsy yeah. and all this sort of stuff. Those, those are dogs, and they take a lot of training. I mean, thousands they, of pounds. I mean, yeah, I think it's something pounds. like twenty thousand pounds to raise a guide dog, right? And the guy, like a good chunk of the guide dogs, will get rejected because they are too strong-willed to be that kind of dog. They'll be great dogs, but they're not. They're not great for guide dogs. So, 
So when you talk a therapy dog, you're talking a very different thing from a dog that is good therapy for you. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so to say I've got a dog and I want to make it one of these is actually asking quite a lot because you understand, because you actually do have dogs that are therapy dogs. What yeah. goes into it? So, um, and, and for me, a therapy dog is one that I can trust to take into lots of different environments, trust around people that are... Um, maybe not even in control of their own motor skills, yep. so disabled people um, and, and you know high complex cases. Um, so it takes a long time. I mean, a good year for that dog to have all these experiences, and it starts super young. So these puppies that I've got just now, um, they started mouthing at five weeks of age. So they're little sharp teeth, right? I've been mouthing, and so I've started tra uh, training, which is you know working with them every day yep. for handling. So yesterday when I brought them to children and, and to kids that were, you know, really excitable kids running around, running and, and potentially even going to run over them. Yep. Uh, and I'm watching like a hawk of every little, little behaviour and thing that's happening. But I know that they won't put teeth on skin. Yes. And if I see them getting too rambunctious, I'm in there, I'm dealing yeah, with yeah. it. And also managing really well. So they had to sleep before and then fed and toileted and then get to see the kids. So every every little thing, every little step is managed. Yep. Um, it's quite a lot of you know, intensive work. And then I've got this year of putting them in different situations. So and a great example for you is um, I've trained my dog to do a recall. He's great in the house, he's great in the garden, but as soon as I take him outside, yes. he can't do it, right? That's yep. what I get a lot of. I yeah, hear yeah. a lot of that. And so what I call that proofing where you're, um, well, I don't call it, everybody calls it proofing, where you're asking the dog to do that behaviour, but then in different environments. Yep. And I've got to think of every single environment. Can my dog perform this on a bus, right? Yep. Can my dog perform this? Um, there's one. There was one year that we went to uh, do demonstrations. A long time ago now, we were doing demonstrations um, with the dog training, and they happened to have really loud music on okay. in the background, right. and the dogs couldn't hear a single word I said. But no. they were all hand trained with sig uh, sorry, signal trained yeah, hand yeah. signals, so um, they were absolutely fine. They yeah. did really well. But it was like, damn it! I never thought of putting the music that high that they yeah. couldn't hear me. Do you know? So and they were absolutely fine because of the other stuff that we've done, but. How can you think of every possible scenario? That's the thing, and that's why you, you you know the puppies come on the walks with us. They're in the pram. They're getting the vibration. They're getting to meet lots of different people. They get cuddled by different people. It's like the other day on one of the walks after we finished, we had the puppies out playing, and there was a, a family, and they spotted the puppies and they came over. But the youngest one of the family screamed. He was like proper screaming. He was like, and he was like, he wasn't scared screaming. He was excited Exciting. screaming. So he came right up that. to the puppies and he screamed at the puppies. And I, as a human, was finding it quite challenging to hear this screaming kid, but these puppies were just, like, bouncing around. They didn't bat an eyelid. But what happens if we get to six months and they haven't been exposed to that? And so people that are calling me with dogs they want to have as therapy dogs are yep. calling me with dogs that are older than six months. Yep. So you've not been exposed to that kind of uh, situation, and the dog's going to have a major issue with that. And I've actually seen quite a few dogs in schools, and one of them I heard in particular, um, they had to stop bringing the dog into yeah. school. The teacher had gone, right, I'm going to bring this dog in every day and get it used to kids. But um, it was way too rambunctious. Yep. I hadn't had the, the training and, um, you know, it was not, not good. So maybe actually what we need, and there is a need for it actually, is an, a new category of support dogs rather than therapy dogs, support dogs. Well, they do call it emotional support where yeah. you can take your best friend with you. But the thing is, again, if you have an emotional support dog for you, that's fine. But how, how do you know that it's not going to... You know, bite the man in the hat. It's yep. not that terrible, but no, bite, but... growl, or feel anxious yep. about the man in the hat because they need to be. We've got to think about their welfare as well as. So as a master, 
which obviously you clearly are because I stated such. Um, <laughs> do you think it's possible to come up with a program to take people's existing dogs and help them make them support dogs? I do. Um, they would have to be aware that it's a massive amount of work mm. and an undertaking, and there's bits that you might not like about it. So, um, Dr. Ian Dunbar is like the, the world leader behaviorist in training therapy dogs. Okay, and, and there was a famous thing happened where a therapy dog had got his tail stuck in the car door, or somebody had got the dog's tail stuck yeah. in the car door, and the dog turned around and, and tried to bite the person nearby yeah. because that's what dogs do. Yeah. And we have to train for that. We have to train for them being restrained. So a part of Susie's training is making it fun and not just randomly grabbing her ears, but making it gentle at first yeah. and then getting tougher. So I can actually move her body with her skin yeah. because that's what might happen to her. And I don't want the person that happens to her to be a, a random occurrence. Yeah. She has to be so used to it. And that's not very comfortable with a lot of people. No. You're, you're making your dog fit in a situation. But um, the point in Ian Dunbar saying that was not a very good therapy dog is that he, that dog should have been trained that if he's under pain, that he doesn't bite people. Yeah. That's the therapy dog. Yeah, yeah. And we don't think of that. No. Right? So the amount of work, answer your question, the amount of work that it takes to, to get that, on many of the dogs, I would just say, that's not going to work. Yeah. You know, we have to be solid, confident. And it would have to be like like the guy dog program is, which is like, that dog's not going to cut it, right? That, that dog's not suitable for and it. And the problem is that the people that want these type of dogs are going to be anxious anyway. Yeah. And for me to say your dog's not yeah, good enough yeah. to make the program, It'll be heartbreaking for yeah. so I wouldn't want to do it. No. My, my therapy dogs are dogs that I've raised yes. and I've seen or I've had for a long time. Yep. The only one that I can think of that's out there, she's in St Andrews, um, she was with us for a good six months. Um, she had a good temperament anyway for it. She was a bit worried, but we got her confidence up. Um, and yeah, she, you know, it, it takes a long, yeah. a long um, process to get them. And when you put one of the therapy dogs with somebody, you keep working with them, right? You you give them the job of well, training, it. It and never that, ends, that the deal is that they yeah. stay working with you. So it's it's yeah. That's the other thing people need to know. You can have a, a trained dog to a certain level, and then you keep it quiet in a, in a house for six months, and that's going to go. All yeah. that training's going to yeah, go. Yeah, you've noticed that, right? With some of the dogs that, that you have that are very well trained, they go spend a couple of weeks with a different owner, and they that's start reverting to, yeah. to the behaviour. But that's on another podcast topic, which is about the early development and. Absolutely, and, and like so that. for me, you know, that's why my therapy dogs, um, the base training, that's what we can get back yeah. to. So you're you're forming that, and you're using the, the core attributes of the dog, which yeah. are never negative, always positive, right? Just yep. a scale, yep. as we talked about. Absolutely. And then we're just encouraging those. So mm-hmm. and there's 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 dogs in the litter already that I'm thinking that's going to be an excellent one. It's really you know, another one that's like a little wild child. Yeah. So you're just like no. no, no <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so yeah. um. Yeah, so in short, it takes a lot of work, yeah. and certainly we, um, we would look at breeds. Yeah. Um, the reason I chose Daxi is actually it wasn't for therapy initially, it was for sniffing sniffer dog work, because they're right. fantastic sense of smell. But I just noticed that they weren't, when we were doing our um, course with the kids, I noticed the kids were all really, the school kids, um, drawn to the little sausage dogs, Ooh. and they're very easy to spot, because yeah. um, there's not a lot of dogs that have a sort of... A word like that, it yes. away from its own breeds. Yes, yeah. So yeah. it's a dachshund, but everyone knows them as sausage dogs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're really easy to pick out, they're easy yeah. breed to pick out. They're small and cute, affordable. Kids can hold them. Yeah. They like snuggling. They like warm. snuggling. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's that's the that's one of the things I noticed when I first met your dachshunds. Is um, you came up with my daughter to the ranch, and she sat down, and they were puppies at the time. One of them, <laughs> well, one of them jumped up, and she was like, "This is great. This is fantastic." But the other three went. Hey, we're missing out. And then all four, the four Daxies 
just go fast asleep on her. And she was just like with a massive grin on her face because she'd been chosen by these and they felt relaxed in her company. And, you know, sometimes we never feel good about ourselves. We've, we've not been brought up to ever feel good about ourselves. And a dog sitting on your lap and falling asleep on you makes you think, best thing ever, yeah? I'm, I'm, an, I'm an okay human that a dog would do that. So, um, yeah, it was really... Uh, it was, And we saw that in the school the other day. That, you know, one of the girls' dog fell asleep on her. She was just, like, glowing. She was just like... My dog because the dog chose to, to be with her. Felt relaxed enough with her to fall asleep on her. So therefore, I must be a good person. Then I'm not that mother person because a dog would fall asleep on me. Huge, right? Totally different subject. Um, but hopefully, <laughs> you've got a sense for what we mean by the difference between therapy dogs and dogs that are really good for therapy. I think there's a, there's a difference. There is, yeah. And um, and therapy dogs are pretty special and, and take a lot to, to get to them. But yeah. Jess obviously has a pack of them because she's a master. I you say that every time now. Yeah, I'm going to use that. Actually, no, you have to introduce yourself. I'm Master Jess. <laughs> I'm just confused everybody else who hasn't ever heard any podcasts. <laughs> right, okay, that's us for today, um, and uh, we'll speak again soon, probably very soon, because we've got so many things to talk about. <laughs>